0: Here's a short story about two monks of Egypt around the era of Constantine. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said to him, Abba, as far as I can, I say my little office, I fast a little, I pray and meditate, I live in peace, and as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. What else can I do? Then the old man stood up, And stretched his hand toward heaven. His fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said to him, If you will, you can become all flame. Now, this is a rather unusual story from the desert. The great Abba's tended to be pretty suspicious of any activity that drew unnecessary attention to them or acclaim. Many warn against even teaching anybody else much more so against wonder-working. And there may have been many more such stories. Perhaps this kind of thing was common in the desert, but whoever compiled the sayings of the Desert Fathers uh, didn't include them. We don't have very many of them, let's say. The scribes uh, may have suppressed those because they were more likely to cause danger than profit. So why was this one kept? We know from other sayings in the same collection that Abba Lot uh, was a humble monk. He was diligent in his observances. Perhaps he was given a little bit towards scrupulousness and suspicion of speculative theology that was making the rounds of Egypt at the time. He seems to have had a tendency to be overly concerned with exacting disciplines. Abba Joseph, whose light spirituality, let's say, only appears in this one saying and another saying that he also gave to the same Abba Lot. He was known not for turning into fire, he was known for his gentleness and his patience. The fact that Lot, who was a very strong monk, would humbly place himself at the feet of the older man Joseph was a kind of opening for Joseph to reorient this younger monk, who was maybe a bit too scrupulous, So when he's asked, what more can I do, he doesn't say, well, fast a little more, because he said, I only fast a little bit, so fast some more. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't recommend more selfless service of the brethren. By his own demonstration, Abba Joseph shows that this willingness to become all fire is quite possible, and he's suggesting that it is even more desirable. In this, one can hardly avoid thinking of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on Mount Tabor. We should note in passing that this idea of somehow light streaming from a human body, a human face, is not unique to the story of the transfiguration or even to this story of Abba Joseph, because Moses had the same thing happen to him, and this was very well known by the early Christians and certainly their Jewish contemporaries. Uh, When Moses goes to talk to God on Mount Sinai, when he comes down, his face is shining, and the people are so afraid of him that they tell him, you've got to put a veil over your face, right? We're not told that Elijah's face ever shone in this way, but he did command fire to come down from heaven to consume the sacrifice when he had the contest with the priests of Baal. And he was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, So he does seem at least a fitting companion for Moses. So he and Moses are the ones who appear with Jesus today, contemplating him, talking about Jesus' upcoming exodus. The church's tradition teaches us that Moses and Elijah appear here to point to the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The law came through Moses, and Elijah exemplifies the prophets. But what do we mean to say that Christ is the fulfillment of the law? What does this mean exactly? How can a law be fulfilled? Is it just by doing it? Is that what it means? Well, I can give you an idea. Let's think of an artisan who's learning a new craft under the tutelage of a master. When this artisan begins learning the craft, he has to learn all kinds of rules built up out of the conventions of whatever craft it is. So if it's sculpturing, or tailoring, or cooking, or woodworking, or accounting, uh, you learn, first of all, all kinds of rules. But the artisan only becomes a master. He only graduates to being a, a true artisan, and not just a student anymore, when he begins to know how to transcend the rules. He begins to understand why the rules are there. He even knows when to relax or break the rules, You know, all the greatest composers in the Western classical music tradition didn't follow the rules. But if you're a composition student, you better or you won't pass, (laughs) right? So the rules are there to discipline the body and the mind so to free the spirit so that the resulting art is really art. It's not industrial mass production, right? There's something personal and free about it, but only because the artisan has disciplined himself first. And so it was with the law of Moses. The goal of the law is not to show that I can fulfill every precept. It's to discipline the mind and the body so as to free the spirit so that I can truly give of myself to love God and to love my neighbor in in true freedom. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not taking anything for myself. That's only because I practice the law first. Christ fulfills the law by being the embodiment of love. What does love look like? I would say in the case of Jesus Christ, there's a double aspect to it. We're going to see one terrifying aspect on Good Friday. In this case, love looks like enduring great suffering on behalf of others to redeem fallen humanity, to save us from our sins. But there's another aspect to love. This is his burning, becoming all flame. This is the love that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share with one another. This is the love that God wishes to share with us. He wishes, he wishes to ignite in us, you know. So a, a husband will both sacrifice himself for his wife, but he also burns with love for his wife. He just loves being around her. He lights up when he sees her, right? So these double aspect of love, this is the goal. And to get there, we need to discipline ourselves. And this in turn suggests why the church has given us this beautiful vision. At the beginning of Lent, we still have five weeks to go in our fast and whatever commitments of self-denial that we've made. And in these commitments, if they haven't already come up against severe challenges, they're going to probably. We're going to have those days in Lent when we don't feel like fasting. We don't feel like not gossiping or whatever it is we've decided to give up. What will be our motivation at that point? Just being tough and, you know, gritting it out and being good at following the rules I put there for myself? Maybe. That's better than not carrying them out, you know. But the point of following the rules again is that we will be transformed, that we will free ourselves from all the limitations of our our self-love, of our selfishness, of our fear. We put out these rules so that one day we can become all flame we too might be consumed with divine love and purified of anything that would be a blot on the translucent rays of the Holy Spirit in our minds and bodies. But isn't it grandstanding to want something like that, right? Jesus himself, though, he didn't shrink from this. He wasn't grandstanding on his part. But it's noteworthy that he, like Abba Joseph, didn't reveal this just to everybody right away but only his closest disciples, two of whom he knew would one day suffer the ultimate cost for their love of him, for their discipleship. And so if our self-denial during Lent feels like a mild form of martyrdom, then perhaps we too will begin to gain insight into the transformative power of the Spirit. And having had this vision along with Peter, James, and John, Will we not, like they, desire to share this joy with others? And how much more will this joy in knowing the God who is light and love convince others of the love of God, much more so than any great feats of fasting that lack love?